Hey, what's going on, Who That Nation? It is yours truly, TJ Jones, the host of the State of the Saints podcast. And I have a special guest with me uh, from The Advocate and also from NOLA.com. We have Mr. Jeff Nowak. What's going on, Jeff? You know, just living the dream in my house, as I have been for the last five months. Uh, longer hair than I'm used to, but, you know, that's just part of the deal these days. Uh, no cabin fever, huh? Do you have cabin fever yet? <laughs> oh, I've had cabin fever. It's like beyond. I had cabin fever like two months ago, and now I'm just at the point that it's like I've just accepted my my new state of very limited outside uh, <laughs> exposure. But uh, but I can't complain. I can't complain. Yeah, right, well, thank you so much, Jeff, for being a part of the State of the Saints podcast and talking to all the Saints with us. I know a lot of people in the Who That Nation looking forward to hearing from you and. Uh, hearing your perspective on the team, man. So uh, thank you. For sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, first question, I want to just talk a little bit about training camp. I mean, the Saints have been padded up for about four days now, four days of training camp. There are a lot of guys standing out, a lot of guys that are surprisingly uh, taking extra steps, uh, you know, especially people like uh, P.J. Williams and Traquan Smith. I want to start with P.J. Williams because uh, we talked off the air <laughs> and we were talking about, uh, you know, a tweet that you put out about P.J. Williams and how, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, how people kind of, well, I'm not paraphrasing. You say we're willing, willing to drop the anvil on P.J. <laughs> Williams. So I want to know, what do you think about P.J. Williams and um, his, his production and, and his development, uh, especially in training camp right now? PJ Rockstar Williams. Well, so I should I should mention that uh, and I, you had Jeff Duncan on a few days ago and he <laughs> he said basically the same thing. It's very weird right now because normally I would be out there, uh, you know, and I, I focus a lot on on digital content. And I, I try to produce as much video as possible. Right. Um, and but the way the training camp is set up right now with coronavirus restrictions, only 10 media members are allowed out there per day, which is one per media outlet, essentially. Right, right. And uh, so we our, our beat writer, Amy Just, has been out there all week. I know uh, another of our beat writers, Luke Johnson's, I think, next up on the carousel. And you just kind of right. go through it. Uh, and we we've, we benefit, you know, we're fortunate to have a pretty robust team covering, <laughs> covering the states. And, right. you know, other, other organizations, you know, they don't have the luxury of not being able to go out there, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, but so a lot of what I've been able to assess has been from a distance. Um, and it's obviously not ideal because the, cl the clips you're getting are the clips that are allowed to be shared right. by the media. You know, there's a lot of situations where, you know, they're running sets that they don't want filmed for right. obvious reasons. Right. And, uh, in in a lot of situations, they'll allow you to film stuff if there are fans present because they're not going to say, "Well, you can't film this," but the fans in the stands can because they can't control right. that. Right. Uh, where so there's a, the restrictions are even dialed up a little bit more than usual. But um, I think that's probably the takeaway that I think people need to keep in mind is the clips that you're seeing are not team drills; they're one on one sets. And if I was a cornerback, I would be petitioning the league to stop allowing people to film even that because it's <laughs> such a brutal, a brutal way to only see how quarter or cornerbacks are developing. You know, the, so you mentioned this, the, the tweet I had the other day. Mm -hmm. And the reason I felt it was important to send that out was because, you know, the, I sent out a tweet after the first day of camp, which was a clip that I shared to highlight Deontay Harris right. and uh, just some of the development you've seen there in terms of how he gets off the line and his, right. and his quick breaks in and out. Mm -hmm. And PJ was the unfortunate <laughs> victim yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it just showed just how quick Deontay Harris is. And, and, you know, PJ was the guy on coverage in that. And if you know anything about PJ, you know he's a slot corner, he's a nickel corner. He's yeah. not the guy you're going to match up on a shifty dude outside the numbers with no help. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> so you know you're you're asking for trouble, and you know those are those are good reps for the corners because they're they need to get those reps to to be able to work on those skills. But right. that's just simply not what you have PJ there to do. Yeah. Uh, and so the clip I shared. Uh, I want to say it was yesterday, maybe two days ago. I, I'm losing track of the days uh, for the last five months. But, you know, the clip I shared yesterday, I, I wanted to share it because I think it's important to realize that PJ Williams, you know, his, his best asset, in my opinion, is the ability to get up to the line and make tackles yeah. and, and to just stop people cold. And on that rep, 
Um, and yes, I, I like to use flowery language, like dropping anvils on people. I grew up watching <laughs> Looney Tunes. Uh, <laughs> Me too, man. Me too. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so why I shared that clip is because I think what you see there is a lot more indicative of what you're looking for with a guy like PJ Williams. He's matched right. up with Juwan Johnson. Mm-hmm. The dude is a just a monster. The, the, there's been some talk about potentially switching him to tight end because he's yeah. 6'4", 240 or something like wow. that. And so you're you're asking a guy, you know, is PJ Williams just six foot, you know, soaking wet, two hundred right. pounds? You know, he's not a big dude, right. but he got up there and he jammed him and forced him out of his break. Yeah. And when you're talking about timing routes in the NFL, which pretty much, you know, every NFL team is primarily timing quick option routes. And when you just jam up that timing for even a, like a half second, it throws mm-hmm. off. It can throw off the entire play. The Saints yeah. run a lot of these over/under sets where it's relying on a guy getting off the line and creating traffic in the middle of the field. Right. Right. They use Michael Thomas for that constantly. Yeah. And if you disrupt that, then both those routes are shot yeah. because it's built to create space because the because they're crossing at a certain point of the field. Yeah. You know, and and this is kind of a really long rambling explanation, but. What you saw in that clip is what you need to see from PJ Williams. And it's why I think the criticism of your nickel corner is a little overblown because he can't hold up in man coverage on the outside with no safety. Well, you know, uh, Jeff, I mean, I agree with you uh, when it comes to uh, PJ Williams playing in a nickel. And I would actually say that PJ Williams is one of the best tacklers in the secondary. He's definitely better than Marcus Williams in that regard and, and several other corners uh but uh, i mean when you put him on the outside i mean I, I i often tell a joke that he almost single-handedly allowed calvin ridley to be offensive rookie of the year <laughs> uh, that game where he played against the falcons but i mean i just feel like the saints could have really helped pj williams in his career if they would have converted him to safety earlier in his career because i feel like he would be a much better safety than he would as a cornerback and i feel like i mean he can still you know playing a nickel because i mean we see a uh, cd duke cj garner johnson you know he's a safety but he plays in a nickel and i feel like if they did that for pj williams earlier i mean i mean maybe he would have been much further alone and and probably have a little bit more respect from the who that nation than he does but i do think he does a lot of good things but i don't know if i would have signed him back for a year i mean that's just my personal se- assessment of it just looking at him you know what i'm saying and what he's done but Nevertheless, I mean, I think that he's a really above average tackler, and I mean, he does some good things as well. It's uh, definitely fair. It's definitely fair. And But one thing to keep in mind with, with PJ, and you're talking about transitioning him earlier in his career, and there has been talk about you know using him more at safety in the, right. in the you know heavy box looks where you close the middle of the field, right. um, is he tore his hamstring his rookie season. Right. He played right. two games his rookie season. One of them was the Giants game that was bananas, if you remember that one. Yeah. Uh, well, I think they won 51 49 or something like that. It was the craziest game until last year when they played the craziest game against the 49ers. <laughs> but so when you talk about a guy who it's like, okay, his rookie season, maybe you see you see what he can do and maybe you consider shifting him, but he tore his hamstring. Right. And and then you have the next season he comes back, you're worried about getting him on the field right. before you can even consider changing his position. So his right. his second offseason is is him getting back into the position right. where you can trust him to play at all. Right. So you're basically talking about two seasons where, you know, would it have been a, ideal to maybe see what he could do with safety? Probably, but it's, there's a lot more going on than that. And it's important to keep in mind too, at that point, the saints really needed corners. They, yeah, you right. know, they had Kenny Vaccaro mm-hmm. and it, they were running Delvin bro out there. And I thought, yeah. I think Delvin bro had a really nice, uh, start to his career with the Saints, but he yep. he did not finish well, and the injuries didn't help. Yep. Um, so it's you know it's easy to look back in hindsight now, but the Saints are in a much different position now than they were three, even two years ago in terms yep. of the secondary. I mean, Marshawn Lattimore opened up a lot. You know, you have Janoris Jenkins in there now, who I I think is a heck of a player, but he's definitely not a tackler. Um, and you know, I I think that's that's something to keep in mind. The other thing is. You know, when you're talking about a team like the Saints who pays a lot of money at the skill positions, you know, you, Michael Thomas is the highest paid receiver in the NFL. Drew Brees is one of the highest paid quarterbacks. Right. Yeah, you're going to have to pay out, pay Alvin Kamara next yeah. or probably in the next few weeks. They're talking about a contract extension now. Yeah. Um, the idea that you're going to pay 
top dollar for your nickel corner, especially when you already had Patrick Robinson. Yeah, who, right. you know, I think it's good to have a veteran guy in that group, but he's he has not played up to the contract they signed him to. Yeah. Um, it's really difficult to say, okay, who who do you go out and sign? The guy I like to comp PJ with is Chris Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's been, you know, since gosh, 2012, 2013, one of the top nickel corners in the NFL. It's where he made his money. Right. And if you look at him this offseason, he signed a, I want to say he signed for two years, $17 million with the San Diego Chargers. Right. And that's far from his top, uh, his, the top contract he signed. The Broncos broke the bank to keep him around, right. at least so far as corners are concerned. And, you know, when you're looking at a guy who, and, and if you want to compare their stats, I sent out a tweet the other day um, where th- their stats last season were pretty, pretty standard. I mean, right. Chris Harris had better had better numbers, but you're paying Chris Harris for those numbers. Right. He is making two million over on a one year sweetheart deal. Right. And I, I think when you're talking about a team that has as much depth as the Saints do and you're really just trying to have consistency at those positions. I mean, being able to bring in a guy that you trust on a two million dollar deal. Um, I, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to argue that that's not the right move. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, look, I, I understand that, especially like the circumstances that we're in, Jeff. I mean, COVID-19, uh, no OTAs, no mini camp. I think the Saints did an outstanding job bringing familiar faces back because one thing that some of these newer teams are going to have to deal with is chemistry. I mean, we, we hear about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and all of the talent that they have, but they're going to go through some growing pains because of the chemistry, you know, not, not having opportunities to, you know, go out there and work together in some of these off season activities. I mean, I don't care how Tom Brady puts a hoodie on in the middle of the night and goes to Brock <laughs> house. <laughs> I mean, you're still going to have some growing pains, you know? So I feel like the saints did a good job and I understand that. I, I, I mean, I'm just saying like, I just feel like, you know, no disrespect, but I just feel like with PJ Williams, I think that, you know, you could have found somebody out there that probably could have been a little bit more productive than he was. And I, I do feel like he's a much better nickel corner than he is outside corner. I mean, that's that's without even saying. But I, I me personally, I feel like they could have went in a different direction. But uh, it's definitely <laughs> fair. It's just you, you look at it, it's like it. I get I get into it with people on Twitter because it's it's really easy to say like okay let's do this but it's like give me an example who do you bring in <laughs> and right. and, it, and this year was is is extra tough because they haven't been able to meet with any of these guys and right. you know look at the look at the Bucks they traded a fourth round pick for a retired player <laughs> just to, <laughs> just to have someone who knows how to play with Tom Brady I mean right. I don't think that you know there's going to be a lot of hype around Gronk this year I'm not buying it I don't think you come off the couch and and play elite level football um but I think that was more about continuity. It was it was yeah. getting another one in the room that understood how he calls plays because it's right. when you join a new team, it's not only learning how to play, it's not only learning the playbook, it's like learning a different language a lot of the time. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing to watch with the Bucks is how do Mike Evans and Chris Godwin adjust to Tom Brady? Because you don't bring Tom Brady in and say, no, Tom, I know you've played – with the Patriots your entire career, but you're going to learn our terminology. You're going to learn all this. No, no, No. you're going to have everyone else adjust to Tom. Uh, You're paying him $30 million. You didn't agree to that contract with like, yeah, come in here. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to play the way we want. Like, no, he's going (laughs) to play the way Tom wants because Tom wins Super Bowls. Exactly. And it's going to be on Mike Evans to learn how (laughs) to play with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, this is a little different with the saints because you, a lot of the positions that you're bringing in are on defense. That's that's where the biggest changes have been. And I, this is another thing I tweeted the other day, which is, you know, the Saints are in a much better position than a lot of teams in terms of losing the preseason games. No one benefits from it, but some teams are hurt less. And teams like the Saints that have very little turnover are going to have an easier time getting over the hump. The position that I have the most, I don't know, I don't want to say concern, but I think it's probably the biggest uh, area that you're going to want to watch is linebacker. Yeah. Um, at this, you, 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 AJ Klein left in free agency. Mm-hmm. You like, you, you hope Alex Anzalone can come back healthy and stay healthy, but you know, he hasn't been able to do that. So it's tough to really bank on that. Um, I, I'm blanking on his name. What's his name? They traded for him last year. He was hurt all last Eco year. Alonso. Eco Alonso, right? He's trying to get back and he's another veteran, but you're probably going to be relying on a guy like Zach Bond or Caden Ellis in very significant 
rotational snaps at the very least uh, at linebacker. And you're not going to be able to see Zach Bond in one real live snap before week one. Uh, Caden Ellis had a good run in the preseason last year, and he played at least a handful of uh, regular season snaps. So you have a little more, but he's another guy that he's coming off a significant injury and you're not going to be able to see him in live reps. And that's going to be, that's going to be tough for the saints. Um, I thought it was really, you know, the only significant offensive position that they changed that you want need to, that you worry about someone adapting is Emmanuel Sanders. And if you had to sign a wide receiver that, has proven he can adjust to a new system. It's probably the one who literally got traded midseason and then went and played in the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> so even on that front, I think they're they're in better shape. Um, Adam Troutman is a guy that you look at, and mm-hmm. I think in in a regular you know an alternate universe where we have a full preseason, right. he probably comes in week one ready to ready to go, and you see a lot from him. I think what you're going to see instead is you know they're going to work him in a lot sl- more slowly. Um, the 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 interesting thing that's going on right now, and you know, I I I'm very I'm a, I'm an eternal optimist when it comes to this sort of thing. You know, mm-hmm. Andrews Pete got hurt. He's hopefully going to be back in the next few weeks. That was the report. He, he had another hand injury, but it's not going to be the type that keeps him out for you know more than a couple of weeks. Uh, Josh Hill is dealing with Sean Payton special. They call it a tweak. Like <laughs> last year, he tweaked his knee. Um, and while you hate to see those guys get hurt. You have two of the four draft picks they made. Hell, three, if you count Tommy Stevens, are people that need extra time in the preseason to get up to speed in Adam Troutman, Tommy Stevens, who they converted to tight end, and Zach Vaughn, or I'm sorry, Cesar Ruiz at either center or guard. He's been doing a lot of work at guard right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But the the talk is they're going to switch out in – and if the next week or the week after, he's going to be taking a lot more snaps at center and getting a lot more work at center. Uh, but we you know without Pete or Hill out there, they're able to get a little more significant work um, right. than they would. So you don't want to, like I said, I'm an eternal optimist. And I always look for the silver lining and things. And I think, yeah. you know, if, if that had to happen, I think that it, it at least allows them to get a little more uh, top level snap work than they would have otherwise. So, and also, uh, you know, I look at it from a uh, transactional standpoint as well. Like, let's just say, for example, like, you know, teams don't have preseason uh, games to actually look at some of these players. I mean, they have to rely on uh, some of these organizations to send them film on these players. And when you look at the offensive line position, I mean, you look at guys well, like Cameron Time, Will Clapp, uh, so many guys that are probably going to end up getting lost in the shuffle. There's a strong possibility they could possibly leave the Saints and go somewhere else and be a starter right away. And, it, and, it, and it's because, you know, of the rotation, no Andrews Pete, Nick Easton is in there, you know, so I, it gives these guys an opportunity, guys that probably will be standing on the sidelines with their hands on their hips uh, because a starter is actually in. So it's giving them opportunity to put some things on film that if teams are willing to show other teams, you know, they can possibly make some other squad. But I want to uh, backtrack on something that you said. You talked about the linebackers and, uh, probably preseason games would have helped them actually evaluate some of that talent. Uh, not only do you you feel like that, but do you feel like it, it is going to affect the way that they actually make tackles? Like the thing about it is, you don't want to get any of your best players hurt, right? So I mean, you're not practicing like you know elite tackling in practice. So do you think that tackling may be an issue when you're going into Week One against the Buccaneers? Well, so that, that's an interesting point you bring up. And I will say that the Saints have a lot of veteran players on defense. And I, I think that they won't be as affected by that as a team that, you know, the Vikings drafted 15 players. That's not an exaggeration. They literally drafted 15 <laughs> And several of those were the Saints picks. Right. And I think, you know, I don't know if this was the plan at the time, but in hindsight, you don't have the time to evaluate those guys. You don't have preseason games to evaluate those guys. And I think they are very, you know, there was some criticism at the time. They didn't make enough picks. I think they're very, very satisfied with the picks they made. And they already are going to have a lot of roster decisions to make. But um, in terms of tackling, you know, you still have Demario Davis, who uh, in my opinion is one of the top tacklers in the NFL, um, at least form wise. And if you needed someone to bring along a young group of linebackers, I don't know if there's a better guy out there um, that, that you'd want to kind of lead that group. The other thing is, and we wrote a story about this yesterday. Amy just wrote a story about 
that the Saints are actually incorporating more live tackling into their scrimmages because of exactly what you were talking about. They don't have the preseason games to work on that, so they're going to do it in practice. And I, you know, I don't think you're going to see a lot of. It's not going to be the vicious hits that you might see in a game, right. but it's it's going to it's honestly I think that might be more productive in terms of learning how to tackle. One of the right. things that as you watch teams, as you watch the NFL over the last ten years and the last twenty years, a lot of players just don't know how to tackle anymore, and yeah. it's and part of that is because there's a lot less time to practice, and this and it's just not something you know you're trying to teach a team a playbook, you're trying to install a system. And it's like, you're going to just trust that they already know how to tackle. And that's going to be the last thing you work on. But this year, without the preseason games, you actually have more practice time because you're not worried about travel. You're not worried about, you know, recovery after games. You're going to deal with recovery after practice, but that's a much different type of recovery. Um, And so you're going to have a little more time to work on that kind of stuff. So, you know, there's a chance that like there's, there's a reasonable chance that tackling is an issue. But there's also a reasonable chance that they're actually are better off than they would have been otherwise, because in preseason games, when you have uh, a lot like 12 guys competing for one roster spot, everyone's trying to make the play. Everyone's trying to everyone's trying to shine. They're not necessarily worried about, okay, I'm going to make a fundamental tackle right now. Right. Right. (laughs) Just trying to stand out. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And you don't you don't stand out with fundamentals. You stand out with, you know, the strip fumble return for a touchdown. Right. Um, not to say that these these guys aren't doing their jobs, but it's it's just kind of something you have to consider, and it goes both ways. Yeah, uh, I think uh, you know you're absolutely right when it comes to Demario Davis. I think he's a a really good tackler, and then you got to add Nigel Branham in there as well, a guy that was a kind of a a standout for the Philadelphia Eagles. Man, uh, Jim Schwartz, the defensive coordinator, used to rely on him heavily uh, in that defense. So I, I think that he could be one of those guys that can come in um, and actually contribute. Now, I don't know how. Maybe, you know, he might start out on special teams and transition to the, to the starting rotation, but I can really see him um, as one of those guys that, that come in and can contribute um, when he starts to get more familiar with the defense. Uh, also, I want to talk uh, to you about uh, Alvin Kamara. Uh, you mentioned him about his uh, contract, uh, you know, negotiations are starting to, uh, you know, perk up just a tad bit. Uh, he wasn't healthy. I mean, it was pretty clear last last season he wasn't healthy. Uh, but I mean, he still managed to, to get his normal eight and one catches. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, and, thir- and thirteen hundred all purpose yards. So uh, I will say, but before we go any further, that is one of the most incredible statistics I've ever seen in sports. Alvin <laughs> Kamara has caught exactly eighty one catches in all three seasons. All three seasons. What a, like it's if you were trying to do that, it would be difficult. Right. Like, <laughs> that's insane. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. It, it, but it's, so, nah, it's so wild. Yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you can't plan it. You know, I mean, you just can't. But I mean, at least not until like week 17. You'd be like, okay, I need three. But like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's so strange. I mean, if it was incentive based and he had to get that amount, then, right. you know, <laughs> he gets it. He has an escalator at 80 and a half catches. Exactly. <laughs> I'll be excited about that. But, I mean, we should check the over unders. We should check the like the Mm -hmm. Vegas over unders if he's betting on himself at 80. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, if if that's the case, I guarantee you he'll have made more money. Uh, I I just look at Alvin Kamara as one of those guys. I I say he played at 73 percent and still had a respectable year, probably a better year than some other guys had that played all 16 games. But now he comes in. I mean, he's he's 100 percent healthy. I mean, he looks bigger. He looks a little bit more stronger the way that I mean, from what I see from pictures and, and him running and everything like that. It seems like the, the explosiveness is back. Uh, what are your thoughts on Alvin Kamara? And uh, what do you think about him over the last few years in the Saints uniform? And do you think he can, uh, you know, even exceed the expectations that we have for him as Saints fans and and the Saints as an organization? Yeah, so Alvin's Alvin's tough, and 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 when I say that, I mean tough in several ways. One being, it's it's tough to know what to expect from him this season, just because we haven't gotten, or we're not going to get a chance to see him in the preseason. But right. and he's also tough in the fact that he, as he, to use his own words, tore up his knee last right. year and missed two weeks. Right. Um, it was reported that it was a a torn MCL, which. Um, he, they never confirmed that they never said which knee, but you know, if that's the case, I I spoke with a doctor, 
uh, his name is Rand McLean. He's a he's a sports um, medicine expert, whatever you want to call him. I don't even know his real title. I have to look it up. Uh, but he's great, and he he kind of walked me through the kind of rehab process that you would have for that. And he said, you know, at any level, so a, le- a grade one MCL t- tear is is what you would call a sprain. And so he said that he, the timetable that he would give anybody, whether you're an NFL athlete or, you know, me sitting at my couch at home is six weeks, easily six weeks before he would recommend that you should be on a field. And he, Alvin Kamara, he missed. So he played against the Jaguars. He finished the game and then he missed the next two, which, and then there was a bye week. So it was essentially three, three, three and a half weeks before he was back on the field. And, you know, just just from that timetable, the fact that he was able to come back and play at a level that, you know, I don't think that anyone's going to fool themselves into thinking that the Alvin Kamara who finished the season was the same one that started it. Right. Um, but he was still a top 10 NFL running back, even in as limited as he was. I think that's right. very telling to the toughness, you know, and I think you look at some of these weird, crazy balance drills he does. I think that probably had, a, had played a role. Um, <laughs> but I think that he is very eager to show uh, that he's back. And right. I'm, I'm honestly, you know, you never want to hear that someone's injured, but a lot of the narratives that were flying around and I dive into the deep Twitter holes a lot of the time. And <laughs> there was this weird idea that he didn't enjoy football anymore. Man, get out. <laughs> like get out, like get that out Mark Ingram part. left and he just wasn't having a good time. Right. And I think part of that was driven by the fact that he would, you know, he'd get tackled for a two yard loss and he wouldn't like get pissed off. He would get up and run back to the huddle. And, you know, that's, if you know anything about Kamara, it's like, that's just him. Right. Uh, and I think that he, there was a lot of frustration there in that he knew he wasn't a hundred percent and he was doing what he could. And if I, you have to, um, you can imagine how frustrating that is, even right. especially someone as competitive as Alan Kamara. Um, but, you know, whether, whether, they get the contract done before the season starts or if it, if it lags into the season or after it, I think that he's more than motivated to show that he's uh, that the last eight games was not what he has to offer for uh, as fully healthy. And I mean, you just need to look at the first five from last season to really see that he led the NFL in broken tackles. He had 29 broken tackles first five weeks. He had 11 broken tackles against the Cowboys, 11. He had eight the week before. Uh, so if you do the math there, that's 19 broken tackles. When he came wow. back in week 10 against the Falcons from week 10 to week 17, right. he had 19 broken tackles over the, the rest of his games. And I think that's the only number you need to look at. Yeah. Um, but I, I expect big things out of him. I expect, especially, you know, once they can incorporate Adam Troutman and they can run some really, really difficult to cover uh, 12 sets out of the 12 formation with cook and Troutman and you don't know which guy's going to stay and which guy's going to go, whether they're both going to go. My dream is to have a 13 formation with no wide receiver and you go five wide. (laughs) (laughs) That's Yeah. The math makes sense there. I think. Uh, And you you put Taysom Hill, you you have three tight ends on the field. I call it 23. You have three tight ends on the field, two running backs, Taysom Hill at quarterback. You send everyone out. (laughs) <laughs> you see what they do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. that'll be that'll be one heck of a play. I tell you that. And that's I, I know that, and I know it wouldn't be something they'll be prepared for. I tell you, so, right? They'll have like they'll have their goal line uh, defense on the field. Right. Yeah. That'll definitely keep. <laughs> that'll definitely keep a defensive coordinator up all night. <laughs> right. And the uh, fact that they can do that—that's that's what makes the Saints roster so unique—is yeah. you could feasibly do that uh, and have a mobile quarterback, so you don't. Like the issue with going five wide with Breeze, and he does it so successfully, yeah. is in spite of the fact that he's not that mobile. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I, I think about some of the exotic plays the Saints have had. I remember one play when they played against Minnesota when they had all three quarterbacks on the field at the same time, and they had Bridgewater, and uh, he made uh, Mike Zimmer call a timeout because he was like, like what, what are they doing? You know, so right. I mean, you know, Sean Payton will uh, try to find ways to confuse you from time to time. So, I mean, 
I don't know. You, you might have put something into his uh, ear, you know. I mean, especially. <laughs> oh, I guarantee you that there's nothing I could come up with. Sean Payton hasn't already scribbled on a napkin yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Uh, the play that I look at in that uh, is in that Vikings playoff game. I don't know if the play you're describing is from the preseason game or not, because they did play in the preseason. I can't. I can't recall. It but... was a week. Eight. It was a week eight of I think the 2018 season. Oh, okay. So it wasn't this this past season. All right. No, no, it wasn't. It was. Um. So, but the play I look at. Uh, is the playoff game against the Vikings. So the the way they started the season running the Taysom Hill sets is they would split Breeze out as a wide receiver, which I yeah. hate. You know, I, yeah. I get the idea and you don't want to you don't want to tip the defense off by right. sending out Taysom Hill and no Drew Breeze because that just yeah. says, okay, that we can say Taysom Hill's a quarterback and that kind of chops the playbook in half right. in terms of what you're defending. Whereas if you send both of those guys out there, they have to account for the fact that Taysom Hill could line up at tight end. He could line up at cool. H. He could line up in the backfield uh, as a as a tailback. Mm-hmm. He could line up as a fullback. He could line up as a mm-hmm. wide receiver. He could line up as sli- – you get where I'm going. Yeah. Uh, when you take him off the field, you don't have that. But but what you do when you put Breeze out wide is you cut off that entire half of the field because Drew Breeze is not running a route. <laughs> so they don't even have to account for him. All they have to do is spy him with a, you know, a deep safety – yeah. Uh, as just so he doesn't have like a free 20 yards to just catch a pass and step out of bounds. That's the right. only time I could even envision them throwing a passenger reason. Even then right. I think that they would, they would think twice about it, but what they did in the Vikings game and they did it a lot, a little more toward the end of the season is they ran a play with out of a heavy formation with Deontay Harris as the deep, uh, he was running a post route. He's running an eight and they, it was, it was a, I can't remember who ran the option, but it was a run set, and right. they sent Taysom Hill, and he just chucked a deep or 50-yard gain. And right. the reason that worked is because you can do so many things out of these formations that they just don't have to do a lot of the time. Right. And they keep things in their back pocket that if you ran them in any play or any game this season, it probably gets you a 50-yard gain for a touchdown. I think True. that play got ta- – I think Harris fell and he got tackled at the one. Yeah. But the Saints ha- – I-, I guarantee you there's – Stuff scribbled in the back of Sean Payton's mind that he saves for big games, and right. and I think that was one of them. And yeah, uh, I enjoy that, that's one of my favorite plays from the Saints this season because I, you yeah. can watch it, and if they cover Deontay Harris over the top, Taysom Hill has forty yards of green grass in front of him. He probably scores yep. if they play soft <laughs> to to stay on top of uh, Deontay Harris mm-hmm. and cover and and actually account for that run. Just hand it to Kamara, and he gets a twenty-yard gain. Anyway, I'm yeah. I'm just waxing poetic about one play, but I really did enjoy it. I mean, <laughs> go back I, I and watch it. It's I, worth the rewatch. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed it too, Jeff. And um, honestly, it, it could have easily been a touchdown. You know, I feel like uh, Taysom Hill kind of threw the ball a little shorter, and and Deontay Harris actually had to turn around and catch the ball. So if he he would have put it out there a little bit further, he would have scored easily. It's a little oh, guy. Okay. It's, yeah, tough to, <laughs> it's like it's like it's like Dustin Pedroia when he was yeah. batting. It was like his strike zone's like four feet or like four inches wide. You got to get it to him. I think that that honestly, like to me, it's like the fact that he hit a five seven wide receiver fifty yards down the field isn't yeah. just amazing in general. But and yeah, great, right? con- and great, um, great concentration by Harris. I mean, those were two right. defenders right there. You know, he could have easily like uh, you know allowed that to distract him and not catch the ball. So I mean, it was. It's a good, you know, good play, good concentration yep. by him. So uh, I want to talk to you about the tight ends. Uh, you talked about Adam uh, Troutman just a, a few minutes ago also. Uh, but uh, Jared Cook, um, he's going into his second year with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I, I think uh, Dan Campbell, uh, the tight ends uh, coach, talked a little bit about Jared Cook, talked about how uh, he's a little bit more uh, comfortable with the offense and uh, he's more comfortable, you know, with his role and thinking about possibly expanding it. Uh, what do you think about Jerry Cook? And do you see him as being even more effective uh, this year than he was last year? Well, I don't know about more effective in terms of he did an incredible amount of work when they opened up the offense a bit and uh, really target him down the field. What, is important to remember about last season, and I think that this is it's pretty easy to spot when you kind of go game by game, is you just can't run a lot of the sets that you were planning to run or that you that you have built in when your quarterback goes down week two. Right. Um, you know, 
Traquan Smith also got hurt in that game. Yep. So from week three on, you have a backup quarterback. You lose your your you know, I consider Traquan a slot receiver. He would play outside, but you know, Ted Ginn was the number two. So, right. but you lose you lose that guy that you were expecting to be in the slot, and all of a sudden you you have Austin Carr out there running. And, you know, he got a lot of snaps. He yes. didn't get a lot of catches. I don't I don't know if he got any yet, to be honest with you. But he was out there a lot. Um, and and you also and with that, you lose the ability to run Taysom Hill out there on offense for 20 snaps because you might need him in an emergency quarterback situation if Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt. Right. So from week three through uh Brees came back week nine against the no week eight against the Cardinals, and they had a bye the next week. So from weeks three to seven, the offense was just comp- compressed down at Pretty much as much as possible. So that's why you saw a lot of low scoring games. You saw them win 12 to 10 against the Cowboys. They won 13 to 6 against the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as Teddy Bridgewater get a little more comfortable, he opened it up a bit. Uh, Jerry Cook caught his first touchdown week six against the Bucs. Yeah. Um, and, but then he got hurt. So it's like you, you look at a season that the offense was just trying to account for all of these variables. And then week 10, Finally, you're able to run the offense that you plan to run from the start of the season. Right. Um, and Jerry Cook had a solid game against the Texans. He he didn't have a great game, but he had a nice yeah. couple of nice plays. And then as you, if you go through, I mapped out every single uh, play of 20 or I want to say 15 yards or more. It was mm-hmm. 15 yards or more that Jerry Cook caught um, last season. He had 24 of those plays plus one really terrible offensive pass interference call against the Panthers. Um, And so if you look at his percentage of big plays compared to his total targets, he had 65 targets. Mm -hmm. He had 24 what I call explosive plays, so plays of 15 yards or more. That's 37% of his plays were 15 yards or more down the field. Um, you, you can compare that to Travis Kelsey, 34, or I'm sorry, 136 targets, 34 explosive plays, so 25%. Right. Uh, Darren Waller is another guy, 117 targets, 29 explosive plays. George Kittle, 107 targets, probably the best tight end in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, 25 plays, explosive plays. So those are the only three guys that had more explosive plays. But you look at the guys, uh, these are the guys that had more targets. Zach Ertz, 135. Hunter Henry, who missed part of the season, 76 targets. Austin Hooper had 97 targets, and he got hurt week 10 and didn't come back. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Higby, 89 targets. Dallas Goddard, 87 targets. Mm. Um, so, like, at the rate that he's getting targeted, the amount of explosive plays that he's producing is beyond elite. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. terrifyingly <laughs> elite. Um, and, his, and his yards after the catch uh, were incredible, too. He had – he had to play against the Titans that he, yeah. I think he had 40, 50 yak, yak yards down the sideline, yeah. which most tight ends don't get that far. They can't yeah. get that far because they're, they're was, big and slow. Yeah, that, that good block by Alvin Kamara. That, that was another one. Yep. Yeah, so um, so I, I don't know if he's going to be you know more explosive than that. I don't know if you can be. Right. But I think that with, you know, barring another season of crazy unforeseen injuries, thankfully the Saints don't play a team with Aaron Donald on it. Um, you know, I think that he can, you know, you, you extrapolate, I hate using that word, but you extrapolate that out. And you're talking about a guy who very easily, you know, he had, he had what I can't even, I don't even know. He, so he had 80, 65 targets. Mm -hmm. If you put that out to a very reasonable, a hundred targets, which, you know, a a tight end of Jared Cook's caliber should be getting a hundred targets in a season. Um, you know, you're talking about, a thousand yard, 10 touchdown guy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, I think I expect big things out of him and especially in year two, he understands the system. It's not changing. All the key players are back. Um, If anything, they have just another guy in Emmanuel Sanders who can open up the field for him. Um, You look at the 49ers game specifically and they, the Saints scored 46 points in that game. They might have scored 80 if Jared Cook had played the yeah. entire game because they just had no answer for him. Two receptions, two touchdowns. Uh, Long it, touchdowns, it, too. It tells you everything you need to know. Right. <laughs> I mean, the second one was a broken play. The first one, they were, you know, they, I think they were in a cover four, and the mm-hmm. strong safety thought that he could uh, bluff pressure and still, like, or, I don't know if the strong safety thought it was a play. Call. I can't, uh, I don't know. But the safety just couldn't drop fast enough. 
Jared Cook was past him before he could even get remotely close to the zone. He's supposed to be in to stop exactly that route. It was just a standard over. Uh, and by the time that Jared Cook caught it, there was no one there, and he gets ahead of steam, and good luck. Yeah, um, I mean, he's da- I mean, he's dangerous. I mean, I think we both can agree with that. And some of the and some of the passes he catch, like he, he's he's fearless. Like I know there's there's a lot of players that would be making business decisions, and some of the catches that he made last season. I mean, whether it's in traffic, rather two yeah, guys it helps are, when you're a yeah, giant, I mean, <laughs> literal giant. I mean, yeah. I. I I think about that. I think about that pass that Drew Brees threw to him. I think it may have been week 17 and he caught it like with one hand or something yep. like over uh, Eric Reed. I'm For like, a touchdown. Why? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, I think Eric Reed deserves a medal of honor from the Panthers for what he, what he <laughs> did in those games. You know, they lost both those games, but he took a pounding that, yeah. especially in the, the week 12 game. Mm-hmm. I mean, the saints just beat him to death yeah. with Jared cook. Uh, at one point, he like limped off the field. Nice. I think he had 13 tackles or something like that because they were just throwing <laughs> it to Cook, and he was just like, "Good luck. Let's see if you can tackle him." Yeah. Uh, it's, it was brutal, but you know, I, he he was a good sport about it. I think because yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, who was it a few years ago that quit at halftime? Uh, <laughs> I think he, he was Abate Davis. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm honestly. I, yeah. I went when I was going back through that game. I was like, it's honestly a miracle he didn't just. Quit at halftime like Vontae Davis because, oh, <laughs> man, brutal. Yeah, I mean, but and that, like you said, that's what uh, Jared Cook brings. I mean, that big frame when he's about six, 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 seven. You know, I mean, that's a big guy out there, you know, catching these passes. And, I mean, a great uh, huge catch radius. I mean, I mean, he's incredible. And I, I expect big things out of him. Like like you said, uh, uh, at the beginning of the season, I mean, he started off, he was dealing with some injuries. But this is a guy, you know, I mean, he led – the Oakland Raiders in receptions at tight end and yards. So it, I mean, this is a guy that, that when the saints got him, I mean, I was really, really excited. And I'm also excited about, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara, you know, being, you know, being back at hundred percent, but I want to talk to you, uh, you know, last question is about the running game. Uh, we, we really, we've been talking about the passing game throughout the show, but what about the running game? You know, what, what can the saints do to improve their running game? You know, maybe get a little bit more carries out of, uh, Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara. Well, so they also added Ty Montgomery, who I think is is going right. to be a really useful right. asset. Um, I, I imagine he's going to stick around. He, I, there's been this question of whether he'll take Latavius Murray's job. They play completely different roles in the offense. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's that's not going to be something that you, you you know that's actually a consideration in terms right. of like oh should we keep this guy over this guy. Uh, but what Ty Montgomery brings is an elite pass catching running back, you know, yeah. and you, you have that in Camara, but it's, it's a, it's a different style. Camara is much bigger back. He's much more bruising back. Yeah. Um, and what you have in Ty is a guy that you can, you can split basically anywhere and he can press the defense. I mean, he's a wide receiver. He wears 88. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it always it always confuses me when I see him in the backfield with the eighty eight. Uh, <laughs> it's like Des, is that you? No, that's not Des. Anyway. Um, but no, I mean the Saints are interesting because they the Saints don't run a lot of traditional um, running back plays. They run a lot of you know crack toss plays where you're taking advantage of Michael Thomas's size to block the edge, right. um, which very few. NFL wide receivers a can do or B are willing to do as well as he does. Right. That's something that no one talks about as much as they should is how good Michael Thomas is as a blocker. Oh, I know. Um, I mean, all you got to do is X and Dejo from the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Right. Right. I mean, uh, when in that divisional round game back in 2017, I mean, now he's a truck. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and especially and as much as the saints like to get out on the edge with their runs, he's a huge part of the running game. I mean, he's catching, you know, every pass thrown his way and he's setting records, but like he's, I won't say he's more important in the running game, but you know, he's equally as important to the success of those outside runs. Yeah. Um, You know, Latavius Murray is interesting. I, I, as you look back and you, you really wish that they had used him more towards the end of the season, especially as it became more and more apparent that Kamara just wasn't, his full form uh he was right. not at 100 right and hindsight's 2020 but i think it's one of those situations where you you have a stud running back and 
you know, A, you if he is hurting, you don't want the defense to know that. And yeah. if you start taking if you start giving him 50% of the snaps that you normally would, they're gonna key on him. They're going to know that when he's in the game, he's getting the ball, you know, that sort of thing. And and that's not where you want to be. And so much of the Saints offense is predicated on not being predictable. Yeah, and, um, Jeff, I, and Jeff, I wanted to I want to say this. Like, I really didn't understand the logic on rushing Alvin Kamara back. You know, like you talked about it, you know, about uh the, the time frame for an injury like that, like six weeks, right? I mean, it wasn't well, that's, like uh, murder. that's it from a doctor. Well. That's not from an NFL team. So it, it's, it, I don't want it to sound like they're, they were just throwing caution to the wind and sending him back. I don't know. They haven't right. said that. So I do want to make that clear. I'm just, oh, yeah, what, yeah. what the doctor told me is that's what he would recommend in that situation. Um, so, and, and you don't know how severe this injury was. It might have been a situation where they just, it was undetermined until he was able to get an MRI after the season, you know? Right. And, you know, it, so I, I wanted to, to not make it sound like I'm suggesting that they were not keeping Alvin Kamara's best interest in mind when they brought him back. And I mean, missing three weeks of a 16 or, you know, two games of a 16 game season is significant. Right. And this is a guy who is a very fierce competitor and wants to get on the field. And if he says he can go, and you believe him and the doctors don't veto that, then you, you know, I, I, I don't know. And it's tough because at that point you're coming off a bye week you know, most injuries, you get three weeks to recover and you, you should be back on the field. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I, I just think, but I, I do just think about, they knew, you know, they, they knew that he wasn't the same. I mean, he even, he even said it in a press conference. He's talked about like how, they they had to push him and say, come on, come on. You know, we know you're dealing with something, but come on. I'm like, but the thing about it is, Jeff, Latavius Murray ran for 100 yards in two weeks. Those two weeks that Alvin Kamara was going, he ran for 109 against, the I think, the Bears. No, 112 with the Bears and 109 with the, uh, with the Cardinals. So I'm like, you have a guy that is doing a really good job. So it's not like it's not like one of them situations where you have to rush a guy back you know, I mean, I just felt like maybe they could have held him out, you know, a little bit longer. I mean, that, that's just me, you know. And I, I, I mean, I, hindsight, I, hindsight is twenty twenty in that. And I will say that he got a far lesser share of the snaps in that Falcons game than he yeah. would did, did the rest of the season. So yeah. I think part of it is bringing Kamara back. Mm-hmm. Um, they also brought Drew Brees back before the timetable that, you know, was initially set for him. And that worked out. You know, so it's it's not always a situation where it, it works out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually, you know, and when he came back in that Falcons game, I think if you go back and watch the tape, you'll see a guy who showed a lot of burst. I think that he he looked really good in that game. He looked like a guy yeah. who was ready to play. Right. And as the season went on, I think it just wore on him. Yeah. Um, and there's only so much you can do. It, it's tough, though, because you, you do train these guys to, to be warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're hearing from every like you know we talk about people just crash like trashing tj or the pj williams Mm -hmm. you know the as alvin Kamara sits out he's not getting it you know it's easy to say it now when you're the guy sitting there for a fourth week especially as the saints lose week 10 and you're not there against the falcons uh it's a much different situation mid-season when you feel like you can go even if you're not 100 percent um and it's tough, you know, and because you're kind of you're kind of trying to balance these two ideologies of, you know, oh, rub some dirt on it and get back out there. And, <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> I am want to sign a 40, 50 million dollar contract in a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's, that's one thing that we all have to respect in a who that nation too, Jeff, is the fact that, I mean, he could have easily like re-aggravated something and it could have caused himself a lot of money. You know, like, I mean, it could have been like one of those situations. Him being a team first guy, I mean, even if you don't didn't have respect for Alvin Kamara at the, in the beginning, you definitely got to have a, a certain level of respect for him now. The guy that would put his team before, you know, I mean, his, his contractual, uh, you know, situation. So, I mean, I got a lot of respect for Alvin Kamara for that. But I do feel like the Saints, they, I mean, they got Latavius Murray. I, I use, the, I always say this. I say I feel like Latavius Murray has always been like the bridesmaid, never the bride on every team he went to. And I feel like uh, he has the tools to like really carry a team, you know, like, I mean, we've seen it in Oakland. I mean, in some cases we've seen it in Minnesota. I mean, he was, 
he was dominating in that game in the divisional round against the saints you know in 2017 he, he does some really good things so i just feel like uh, if his number is cold i mean he does answer the call i mean it, look at that game against the uh, houston texas i only i think he may have like about 10 or 12 carries and he took advantage of it. i mean he sprung for like a 30 yard touchdown so the is murray to me i feel like the saints need to utilize him more and I do understand he's not the best pass catching running back. I mean, I think he only, he caught his first touchdown receiving against the, the Cardinals in his career. But I do think he does some really good things that the Saints need to utilize. And he's a big physical guy. I mean, 6'1", 6'2", 225 pounds. Like, why? I mean, you, this guy leans forward. He gives you three yards. So, Oh, I agree. I agree with you. I, I really like Latavius Murray as a back. Um, I think a lot of what you saw last year, and, and I talk, and this is kind of goes back to my point where they really weren't running the offense. They were built to run a lot of the season. And when you talk about wanting to get a guy like Kamara back, it's because they wanted to get back to, you know, their, the offense that they think is capable of winning a championship. Yeah. And while it's like, yeah, Latavius Murray played incredibly well against the bears. Like I said, that's not the offense that the saints predicated their winning strategy on. That's so true. That's true. It, it, you're running different sets. And I think that there was a, I think there's probably a middle ground from what you saw versus what could have happened. But mm -hmm. I, I really like Latavius Murray. I like Latavius Murray since he showed up in Oakland and just yeah. ran over people. Yep. Um, and it, it's interesting. And I think another thing that we need to consider when it comes to the running game is it's really hard to, to <laughs> run up the middle when your offensive line is not setting is, is, is not creating space and getting leverage. Mm -hmm. And there was, you know, another, I, the, Twitter overreactions are always funny to me. And I knew the <laughs> second I heard Cesar Ruiz that it was going to be this uproar um, because anytime you, it's not a sexy position. Interior lineman isn't a sexy position, especially given the fact that he's listed as a center and they just drafted a center. Mm -hmm. um, but that, I think that was, you know, I went through the 49ers game uh, yesterday a little bit and there's like four or five plays in that game alone where you're just like, man, they need interior line help. And whether he plays at center and you shift McCoy over to guard or he or vice versa, mm -hmm. you know, getting that, getting a top flight prospect to help shore up the line is, is super important, not only for Breeze, but, you know, what does Latavius Murray do well? Yeah. You know, he's running between the tackles. Mm -hmm. And the more you're able to build that offensive line, the better chance you have of actually succeeding running between yeah, the tackles. True. I mean, um, that's, true. that's true. I mean, I, I mean, I, I was in that number, you know, that was that was upset about the C. Ruiz pick, you know, <laughs> I mean, because I mean, I guess. But but to me, I guess I had my heart set on like Jordan Love. And I, I just thought like the Saints would probably go going that direction by drafting Jordan Love kind of fell into like those those articles uh, that was yeah. going on in scene, at the Senior Bowl. I and, try to warn people every year uh, that you're not <laughs> going to be happy with what Sean Payton does in the draft. <laughs> every year. No one, you know, it's like he's going to draft Marcus Davenport. He's, he's yeah. going to draft Ryan Ramchick. It's just right. what he does. And more right. often than not, it's a good pick. Yeah. And he ends up getting Alvin Kamara in the third round or Michael Thomas in the second round or yeah. Marcus Colson in the seventh. So right. I, it's like you, you should probably – it's like people get so worked out about that first round pick. With the Saints, it's almost always more about the, the later round picks. Yeah, uh, I but, mean, yeah. It, I mean, it, they've done an outstanding job. I mean, Jeff Ireland, I, I, I say this on the show a lot. I said they need to uh, hide him out in a basement somewhere to make sure that nobody can find him because he, to me, he's going to be somebody's GM one day, <laughs> and uh, it, it's going to be a, a dark day in New Orleans. I mean, the, the way that this guy and his scout team. Uh, get these guys and find these diamonds in a rough the way that he has. I still feel like the 2017 draft was the greatest draft class in NFL history. I mean, I think you have it to could go be, back. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you, you might look back in five years and, and that's not even a question. Yeah. I mean, even like, I mean, I think you have to go back to like way back in the day, I think in the 50s with the Detroit Lions, did you have a offensive and the defensive rookie of the year? I mean, First team all pros, pro bowlers. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, just hit, hit, hit on every particular <laughs> traffic. I mean, and all of them contribute in, in, in a certain way. Like, I mean, from Azalone, uh, from, from uh, you know, Marcus Williams. I mean, the list goes on and on at the talent in 2017. Trey Hendrickson was in that yeah. draft, too. Yeah. I mean, un unbelievable. I mean, everybody on that, that the Saints picked up in that draft uh, contributed in some way. And you can think about, 
uh, how they uh, brought something to the team. I mean, Trey Hendrickson for what, the first two weeks of the season last year, he was leading the team in sacks. Yeah, he's just yeah. very solid uh, yeah. rotational player. You know, he's not going to be a starter, but he, right. you know, those are the guys you need to draft to have a successful team. The only right. drafted for the Saints that you could probably put up there and make an argument for uh, is the uh, I can't remember what year it was, whatever year uh, Reggie Bush and Marcus Colson. So it was before the Super Bowl, yeah, 2006, um, 2006, yeah. And it's just because the bookend of Reggie Bush and Marcus Colson is so is so is so good. Like just having one guy at the front and one guy at the back, and then just yeah, right. uh, it, it's that was an incredible draft. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, Man. every time I look back at that draft, it's like they got Marcus Williams. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's incredible. I mean, even um, I can't think the offensive lineman that end up going to the Patriots and having a solid uh, Nikovich. I think he they drafted him right in two thousand six. I think he ended up being offensive line for the Patriots. That uh, sounds right. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the other guy they they got in the mid rounds, um, defensive lineman, played for the Bears for a while. He made the Pro Bowl with the Bears. I can't remember his name, you, but you talking about back in 06 or are you talking about uh more recent than that? I can't. I honestly couldn't couldn't remember my. Jumped I, I just remember Akeem. I just remember Akeem Hicks. You know, I that's who I'm thinking of. Akeem okay. Hicks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly who I'm thinking of. Yeah, out of Regina. Yeah, yeah Regina. Regina. Yeah. <laughs> I remember getting a kick out of him because uh, I grew up a Giants fan. I'm from New England originally, and uh, I uh, I wanted the Giants to draft him so they could have Akeem Hicks and Hakeem Nix because <laughs> they already had Mario Manningham and Eli Manning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and ironically, uh, the Saints had both of those guys at one time, it, right? So, <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, but Jeff, uh, thank you so much for being a part of the State of the Saints podcast. Uh, I mean, thank you for coming and sharing your insight and, and breaking it down the X's and the O's with us. But uh, before you go, just let us know how we can get in touch with you and also, you know, tell everyone about your podcast and all type of other outside ventures you got going on. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm, my, my title is digital sports producer for NOLA.com, which is just kind of a title that means nothing, but also means I do a little bit of everything. Um, <laughs> so unlike, you know, so the difference between me and a beat writer, one of the differences, other than the fact that I am not as good of a writer and a reporter as them, uh, <laughs> is so I, you know, I don't follow the Saints so much as I follow the seasons. So when the, you know, during last year, for instance, I, co- I followed around LSU and I, you know, I was out in Atlanta for the SEC championship and the mm-hmm. peach bowl. And I was at the national championship and then the season wow. ended and wow. I came and covered the, you know, I'm fully credentialed to cover the Pelicans. Yeah. Um, and so uh, myself and a, uh, our Pelicans beat writer, uh, we host a podcast called bird watch is a Pelicans podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just put a post this morning on the draft lottery. They didn't get number one in case yeah. you uh, weren't paying attention. Uh, so yeah, if you're, if you're a Pelicans fan, you got, you got all the Saints fans listening here, but if you're also a Pelicans fan, check that out. Uh, we're, we're, we just started this season, but uh, we're having a good time. We're growing it. So that's fun. Um, you know, the last, the, what I've been doing primarily for Saints camp is I've been cutting together a lot of highlight videos from the uh, footage that's been shared with us from uh, Fox eight so far, because they're, because only so many people can get out there. They're allowing us to, kind of co-post those videos, which I think is really good because normally you'd have a thousand people out at each practice and, you know, this, this time around, that's just not the case. So I think it's really helpful to be able to get people some real footage because they just can't get out there. Um, But then uh, on on a person, on the personal side, I host a, uh, a podcast about, uh, nothing really, but it's it's called Running It Back. It's a movie podcast where we don't really review the movies. We just watch a bunch of sports movies and talk about the sports in them. You know, right. like we we try to decide whether Bobby Boucher is actually the best football player of all time. He got 16 sacks <laughs> in a single game. You know, yeah, how did he yeah. not win the Heisman that year? I don't uh, know. <laughs> and uh, but and, and then we kind of talk about stuff like uh, Forrest Gump. You know, we talked about sports Forrest Gump where, right. you know, how good of a – was Forrest Gump a good football player? Because I don't think he was. But he, he, <laughs> he was did. He was a good special teams player. I mean, well, I mean, he was he was good enough that the, the Alabama fans had to come up with a coordinated chant to get him to stop from running through the back of the right, end zone. Right. You know, how many times did he have to do that before you got the entire crowd to coordinate? Yeah, good point. Uh, we, we just did an episode on cool runnings, and we, we co-hosted it with a uh, Olympics podcast to talk about how not – how occasionally true the story was because it's based on a true story, but it's like right. 99% fake. 
Um, <laughs> so that's kind of fun. But yeah, it's it's a good time. And uh, if you if you want to check it out, you can. Uh, it's it's my pinned tweet right now is the cool writings episode, right. and you can uh, find that at twitter.com at Jeff underscore Nowak. That's N O W K N O W A K. Uh, and yeah, any uh, rate review if you have a good time, subscribe, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. I, I co-host it with a co- comic friend of mine from LA, and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, looking forward to uh, you know taking out that podcast. I seen you uh, post it um, on on your Twitter page, so definitely going to take a look at that. Uh, Jeff Nowak, thank you so much for being a part of the State of the Saints podcast, and uh, we definitely got to do this again. <laughs> and yeah, man, TJ, thanks for having me. It's been it's been a lot of fun. All right. Take care, man. This is the State of Saints podcast. Once again, Mr. Jeff Noway. Thank you.